I'm Erin. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. You could write about something in science fiction. So I dreamed up the Star Trek idea so that I could comment on man and society. The whole show was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. You know the greatest danger facing us is ourselves and a rational fear of the unknown. There's no such thing as the unknown. Only things temporarily hidden, temporarily not understood. Open your mind to the past, art, history, philosophy, and all this may mean something. There comes a time in every man's life when he must stop thinking and start doing. Fear only exists for one purpose, to be conquered. We're going to stumble, make mistakes, I'm sure, more than a few before we find our footing. But we're going to learn from those mistakes. That's what being human is all about. The heart of real science fiction is stories about people and ideas. Because it says it's not all over, it's not going to go up in smoke, we're going to make it. Because it says the human adventure has just begun. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. We're three Trekkie gals who grew up in the 90s and fell in love with Star Trek for many of the reasons you've just heard. Even though we consider ourselves Trekkies, there's a lot of Star Trek we've never seen before, which is why we're cycling through all of the episodes of the completed series, learning all about the cool behind-the-scenes stuff, and talking about our reactions to each episode. We'll also be tackling topics within the Star Trek universe and do interviews with occasional guests. Today's episode is all about the last outpost from The Next Generation. If you're listening for the first time, we want to let you know very quickly who we are. My name is Megan, and I am the resident uh, Deep Space Nine fan on the show, although I've seen um, the vast majority of Next Generation, um, Voyager, and a little bit of Enterprise. I've also seen a little bit of the original series. So I've enjoyed um, being on this podcast to watch episodes that I haven't seen before and to revisit my favorites. And I am Erin. I am the Voyager fan on the podcast. I was introduced to Star Trek with TNG by my parents and grew up with it. Uh, Continued watching Star Trek all the way through Deep Space Nine and Voyager, but never actually got into Enterprise. I also did catch up on some of the original series um, and love all the movies and everything as well. So uh, I'm also enjoying getting into some episodes I haven't seen and some I haven't seen in a long time, like this one. And I'm Sarah. Uh, TNG is my um, favorite series. So I've seen, I think, all the episodes, although I think there are a couple that I haven't seen all the way through, as I kind of discovered this past week. (laughs) That being said, I have not seen... um, all of the episodes of the remaining series, though. So uh, I'm watching a lot of them for the very first time on this. But of course, I have uh, seen this episode that we're talking about today, The Last Outpost. And speaking of The Last Outpost, uh, I just want to give you a really quick breakdown of the podcast episode. And uh, we're going to be heading into our music challenge next, as we usually do. Then we'll do a very quick recap to just kind of remind you of what the episode is about. 
Then we'll do our what did you think segment where we give you our quick thoughts on what we thought about the episode. Then we'll do our quiz where we quiz each other on it. Then we'll do a little bit of behind the scenes discussion and uh, guest star stuff. And we'll talk about the episode and get to your listener feedback. But first, we're going to jump into the music challenge. And if you're listening for the first time, this is where I challenge Aaron and Megan to a uh, to identify a random clip of music from somewhere in Star Trek. They uh, they always well that you guys have done a really good job the past couple of times with this. Aaron has gotten it pretty quickly, so <laughs> I, I have high expectations for this. Oh. Today. I, I, I've I've done a bad thing and and made her think that we're going to get this from now on. <laughs> That's all your fault. <laughs> okay, are you guys ready? I guess so. Sure. Okay. Here we go. That's bugging me because that has a lot of really familiar notes in it. And I don't know if I can pinpoint where it comes from. Yeah, I, I same. Because at first I thought, okay, I think this comes from Voyager. And then the longer it played, I was like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So you're ruling out Voyager. Uh, no. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you guys are so indecisive. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I don't think it comes, like, I know it doesn't come from any of the newest movies. I definitely think it comes from something either, you know, TNG, Voyager, DS9, something like that, or... I don't even think it comes from one of the the six original series movies. I, mean, I was thinking if it comes from a movie, maybe Generations. Which, what makes you think Generations? It just sounded like a little bit that it could have been the music in the movie where um, Kirk is working on... Was it reconfiguring the attractor beam? It's been a really long time since I've seen the movie. Um I, that, that's where my brain went in that with the music. So, if, I mean, that's that's my guess. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. You didn't say I was right. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, well, I was, I was waiting for Aaron to um, agree with to you. Comment. Or <laughs> the comment. Yeah, the comment. Um, you don't have to, I guess, if you're just going to go with that. Um it's not from Generations. Okay. Huh. I should have said it's not from that scene in Generations. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can't take that back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I. if it was from Generations, I wasn't going to be much help because it's been quite a while since I've seen that movie. So I don't know that I would recognize the music. But 
there's just something so familiar about parts of that piece that in my brain, I don't know whether it's because Megan said it or because it actually goes together, but my brain keeps piecing it together with the Voyager theme. So I am going to say it comes from Voyager. Wow. You were so not right on that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I say, my, my brain sometimes pieces musics together that don't belong together. So See, in mine and Voyager, when I was thinking, what I was thinking it was from Voyager, it sounded like a little Captain Protonish. <laughs> like, oh, so I was like, yeah. is it in that episode? Yeah. Um, Sarah, you picked a really good clip this time. Mm. And it, probably as soon as you say what it is, I'm going to be like, oh, of course, that is exactly where that comes from. Um, my only other inclination was that it may come from somewhere in Enterprise because that would be something that I've relatively recently heard music from. Uh, it's not from Enterprise. Okay. I'll give you watch a hint. I'll give I say you a watch hint. it be from Deep Space Nine, and uh, I'm not going to know it. Erin's <laughs> uh, assumption that she had a minute ago where she's going to – be like, oh, of course, you're you're totally <laughs> correct about that. Oh, How is that a hint? <laughs> uh, so, Aaron, go back to those thoughts and chase you'll, that. You'll know why it's a hint. Trail. You'll know why it's a hint when. Oh no, I'm going to feel really stupid here in a little bit. Scarlet's trying to play with me right now, too. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, she's got her squeaky bowl in here. Dadgummit. (laughs) I I have no idea where this has come from. Yeah. The only thing that would make me think, oh, I'm going to kick myself, is if it comes from this episode. Right. (laughs) Sarah, did you do that? Did you pull this from this episode we're reviewing? (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh man. Everyone is going to be yelling at the <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> Please yell at us cuz yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. gosh. (laughs) Scarlet's jumping in on there. (sighs) Yeah, so that's why I was like laughing when Aaron was like, man, it sounds so familiar, but I don't know like where it came from. Well, in my defense, I did watch this episode a week ago. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't have that excuse. I watched it last night. Uh, <laughs> where in the episode? Um, Do you know? It's from a track called uh, 300... I don't know. It says M-I-L. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Uh, Feudal move assessment. <laughs> so <laughs> three, Probably 300 milliseconds. Oh. Oh, yeah, probably. So, yeah, it's probably like the big, like... Uh, I forgot, you know, one of the bridge scenes where they're trying to like outmaneuver the Ferengi in this. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I have an app on my phone that I usually just spin to like randomly choose where I'm going to get the music from because I got tired of like trying to, you know, manually choose every. And so, uh, but today I was like, you know what? I'm just going (laughs) to, I'm just going to try this and see if they get it or not. So, Uh, that's funny. Jeez. And I feel like an idiot. I just <laughs> predicted that I would. So, yeah. Well, in your defense, it is kind of like pretty obscure, generic Star Trek music for action scenes. So it really yeah. could have come from anywhere. There there were definitely some strains in there of the the theme and stuff like that. So it, it, it definitely, if somebody had played it, I would have gone, is that from Star Trek? Because... Yeah. You know, the it, it is an undercurrent in there, but uh, yeah, <laughs> had a hard fail on that one. <laughs> the Enterprise is in pursuit of a Fringi vessel, which has stolen an energy converter from an unmanned Federation outpost. While the Fringi were known to the Federation, this is their first contact with the species, and the Fringi are thought to be at a similar technology level as themselves. So, what did you guys think of this episode? Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, going into this episode, I knew it was one that was not high on the um, popularity list. And I knew it was going to be the one introducing the Ferengi. And it is a very different Ferengi than what we're typically used to thinking of. So going into it, I expected not to like it. And while I would say the the storyline definitely could have worked, there were a lot of um, little bumps in the road that made it kind of just odd. So uh, all in all, I mean, it's first season TNG. There's things that they're still ironing out. Um but it was it was just kind of a, a so-so episode. Yeah, I have to say, even though you know I'm a TNG fan, these first season episodes are difficult for me to get through. And the last outpost is definitely. I mean, there are some good episodes. I feel like in the first couple of seasons, but the last outpost I don't think is one of them. Now. The thing that always stands out to me in this episode is um, the fact that they decided to kind of feature what I remember from it is uh, them featuring kind of Riker's uh, intellect and the way he, you know, uses that to kind of think their way out of this situation and stuff. So I kind of liked picking up like on that aspect of his character in this episode but uh, by and large, I just remember like that and then the Ferengi throwing their whips around basically (laughs) is what I get from this episode and going back and watching it again. It's just kind of hilarious how they make such a big deal out of, you know, things that are like no, no big deal later on in the series, you know? And so it's, which is understandable with it just kind of getting started. But um, yeah, this is like, I would say sub mediocre episode for me, but you know, it's cool to like, I guess get that introduction of the Frangi, which became such a huge part of the franchise later on. So, yeah, I have to agree with both of you. Like I'm not a huge fan of as much as I love next generation. I am not a huge fan of the first season. 
Um, although we need the first season to help establish characters and everything, but yeah, this I would not have sat down to watch this episode again outside of reviewing it for the podcast. So um, I enjoyed having this, as Sarah mentioned, of having the Fringy introduced in this. But outside of that, I I could take or leave this episode. Sorry if this is your favorite episode <laughs> out there, but it's it's not mine. All right, so that brings us up to our quiz. Can't you pay attention? Write down all those star dates. No more than a hidden. Which of the hosts knows more about the show? The quiz section is where we ask each other five questions to see which one of us was paying the closest attention while we watched the episode. You can play along with us by keeping track of your score and let us know how you did. And then at the end of the, qu- the quiz, we will have a listener quiz question that will get posted on social media and we will uh, keep track of who gets the correct answers there and give them a shout out on the podcast. Now, looking at our previous quizzes for us as hosts, uh, we've been keeping track of who has won how many uh, quizzes. Uh, We have uh, myself with 13, Sarah with four, and Megan with six. (laughs) 13. You may get get 14 today. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) She says that every time. I don't know. You never know what will happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's true. Even if we combine ours, we're still at 10. All right, so the way the quiz works is we roll four turns to see who gets to ask their five questions first, and then um, we go through uh, in order based on, when I say roll, I actually have a six-sided die here in my hand. I am going to roll it, and I have assigned numbers to each of our names, and we'll see who gets to ask first. Sarah, you get to go first. Thank God, because I only have five questions. <laughs> <laughs> this one was hard to pull questions from. Yes, it was very hard. And I just looking through mine again, I realized that all of mine have a common theme, which I didn't realize <laughs> until, <laughs> until now. So, okay, so uh, we'll start with a very, very easy question first. Question number one is what color was the planet? Like from orbit or yeah on the planet? No, from orbit. See, this is why you're all going to skunk me on this today. <laughs> <laughs> um, brown. I believe it was a light blue-gray kind of color. Yes, Erin, you are correct. All right. Question number two. What colors are on the Chinese finger puzzles? <laughs> I wrote this one down. <laughs> Uh, I did not. Um, white, red, yellow, and green. Okay, Aaron. What I what I have written is pink, white, and it's either blue or green. It's hard to tell. Okay. Yeah, you're correct. It's it's like a like kind of a turquoiseish green, I guess. So yeah. yes, you're correct, Aaron. 
That was a lot of colors, Megan. <laughs> well, <laughs> <It's> like, well, <laughs> only one more you, than there was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, question number three. This is not a color question. <laughs> <laughs> this is, okay. Um, so in the uh, observation lounge, when data is showing that uh, hologram of the planet, uh, what is the location number of the planet that's displayed on it? Oh. Good grief. (laughs) (laughs) I'm assuming it's the location number. It didn't really say what it was, but I think that's what it was. So, Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea either. It is uh, 3004-7204. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole lot of numbers that I would not have guessed. So... (laughs) No, it was just, like, down by the name of the planet, so I assume that was, like, you know how they always say, like, heading, mark, and then they give, mm-hmm. like, a bunch of numbers, so I'm assuming that's kind of what that is, but... Uh, so question number four. What color was the fingernail polish on the Ferengi? <laughs> I know this one. I would only be guessing... It's, like, a olive green. I believe it's... Basically the same color as the planet, kind of a blue-gray. Yeah, I, I, uh, it looked gray to me, so that's what I have is gray. Okay. Aaron's up three nothing here. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. Last question. Question number five: How many of those like bright orange lights are on the back of the fragging ship? Oh. You know, they were kind of all over the ship, but... Yeah. Yeah. Like, when we first see the ship and the back mm. is to the Enterprise. Three? Yeah, I'm trying to decide which part you're talking about, because there were, there were several different sections that were different colors. Well, it was pretty much you had the hull, which was kind of like that rusty color, and then yeah. you had the uh, normal like window lights I'm assuming which were like mm. the white ones and then they had what I would consider like headlights or you know tail lights type okay yeah lights that really stuck out on the ship yeah I guess I was kind of confusing it with like the kind of I, I guess it's the engine where where it lights up for the engine part that's kind of the semicircular that's all oh. segmented. No, it's um, not that. It's not that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then that changes my answer because I was going to try and mentally count all of those. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say I think it's... I think Megan is correct. I think there are three. Oh, you guys should have gone with Aaron's favorite number because it was four. <laughs> Dang it. I I almost did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Okay, so end of round one, um, Aaron is three nothing. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's see who gets to go next. Megan, you get to ask your questions next. Okay. Uh, question number one: Which series regular does not appear in this episode? Um, my regular. my answer is Will Wheaton. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. You were both correct. Question number two. Which solar system are the Ferengi angling through to evade the Enterprise? I have no clue on this one. I'm just going to take the L. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have it 
If if it's the same as the one that they you know end up being stopped in, it's Delphi Ardu. That is correct. Uh, let's see. Question number three. From where did the Fringi steal the T9 energy converter that the Enterprise crew has been tasked to recover? A planet somewhere, I think. Yes, and we, they say the name of this place. <laughs> I don't know the name of the planet. I just know it's a planet. Um, I believe it was Gamma Tauri 4. That is correct. Um, let's see. Question number four. What were the names of the two children that were in the conference room? Uh, Matthew and Pola. That is also what I have written down. And you're both correct. The only reason I know that is because it's a little Riker moment. It's <laughs> the only reason I know that. <laughs> Question number five. The On the planet, the portal claims to be from a, a specific age. Um, what ages does Data mention that come after that one? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Well, I wrote down what Data said, which was, you know, he, he said he was f in Bastu, I believe. And then there was Simi, Zora, and Makto. That is correct. All right. Uh, there's no possible way to even catch Aaron right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Aaron has eight. <laughs> Sarah has two, and I have none. I think Aaron's one. <laughs> All right, so I guess that means it's my turn to ask my questions. Let me bring up my list of questions here. So since one of the common themes of asking our questions is uh, colors, let's start with one of those. Um, what color are the circles on the sides of Jordy's visor? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to say like gold. Yeah, gold was going to be my guess too. Yeah, I'll take that. Um, I had it written down as orange slash gold because it's kind of a holographic material. So a different type of color question. The uh, crew on the bridge starts talking about flags and different colors. And uh, Picard says that the French had the same colors of red, white, and blue as the Americans, but he gave a different order as the correct order. What order was that? Uh, blue, white, and red. <laughs> yeah, I know the first one was blue, but I was then I was like, I was gonna say blue, white, and red, and then I was like, wait a second, is it blue, red, white? I don't know. Mega said that very confidently, though. <laughs> I didn't write it down. I'm guessing. So I was guessing blue, white, and red. I'm gonna say blue, red, white. Megan is correct. Oh, dang it! <laughs> I had seen Les Mis recently, so I was hoping I was still <laughs> remembering it correctly. <laughs> you were indeed. Now for question three, we go to the scene where the two boys are caught playing in the conference room. They were playing with some of the uh, ship models on the wall. Which ship was it? I know they're all the Enterprise, but... How can you tell? <laughs> I was about to say, I have no idea. They were showing like half the ship at a weird angle. Like, how can you tell which one's which? Um, well, you, you kind of see three of them in the frame one is is very is relatively clear uh, but the one they were playing with is fairly um specific the enterprise d that's my <laughs> guess <laughs> well i i don't remember having any like weird 
like jutting out. It was very smooth. I, I'm gonna say the D2. It's probably not right. Mm. No, it was actually the naval aircraft carrier. Okay. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I was trying to figure it out because I thought I'm looking at this thing that they they actually uh, Pola had the the toy on the model. I'm like, what is this model of like boxes with a long flat? And then it clued into me that it was the you know the bridge of yeah. the, the, the aircraft carrier. carrier. Okay. Now we'll go to the engine room for question four. We see engineering briefly, and we do see the warp core, and there is a symbol above the hatch on the warp core. What is that symbol? Is it always there? I believe so, but it just really caught my eye this time. I didn't know there's a symbol there. <laughs> um, it, it's basically above Riker's shoulder for the whole scene where he's standing in front of the warp core. Man, um, for some reason I have like a circle with a square inside of it in my head, but I don't. I've never paid that close of attention to it. I don't think. I'll just go with the radioactive icon. Well, that would make more know. sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I was wondering if that's where this symbol was derived from because it's a yellow triangle with three red triangles in it. And it's, oh. it's arranged kind of like the radioactive symbol. So, uh, yeah, I, I was thinking that might have been where it came from. I do kind of recall that, seeing that now. Although I don't know if dilithium crystals are radioactive, but yeah. still it would be <laughs> probably dangerous to open it. <laughs> All right. And you knew I couldn't get away without doing one from a dialogue. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to get this. <laughs> <laughs> You might, you might. Um, when the Enterprise is losing power drastically and they are starting to get very, very cold on the ship, what temperature does Picard say it can get down to in orbital space? Uh, minus 200 degrees Celsius. Yes, that's what I was going to guess too. See, I told you you get it. Our scores added together, Megan, don't equal hers. No, no. <laughs> So after our last episode, we had a listener quiz question go out on our social media pages. The question was, what was the alert condition that Spock ordered the ship to enter? Now, we only had two people respond, so I'm going to give an honorable mention to the person who gave a stab at it and uh, did not get the correct answer. Uh, he was Master Haircrafter 2 over on Instagram. He guessed Theta, which uh, was one of my red herring multiple choice uh, answers. And then, uh, I'm not playing favorites here, but my brother Mark Brown did uh, get the, uh, the question right by guessing Baker 2. Um, although he guessed it because he thought it would be funny that Spock was saying Baker. So, <laughs> <laughs> so those are our uh, people answering our quiz question. At the end of this episode, there will be a listener quiz question put out on our social media pages. To participate in that, you can just find us either on Instagram, like I said, uh, where we are triples and transporters. And then we also have Facebook group and page and also a Twitter account at Tribbles Podcast. All right, guys, we're going to try a picture on this. Let's get everybody one, please. Pictures up. Pictures up. 
Let's roll sound. Rolling. Rolling. Sound speeds. Camera speed. Take two. Mark. And action. Alright guys, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, production and we'll start in the writer's room as we usually do. We have uh, three credited writers for this episode. Um, the first one is Herbert Wright, who was a producer on season one and he also was a producer. Weirdly enough, he came back for six episodes in season five and um, he was responsible for writing uh, four of the episodes that he worked on as producer. For this particular one, he wrote the actual script, the teleplay. Um, Richard, uh, I have no idea how to say his last name. <laughs> it's uh, K-R-Z-E-M-I-E-N. I, I don't know. <laughs> his last name? Just call him Richard K. <laughs> yeah, Richard K. Um, this is the only episode of Star Trek that he ever worked on, and he uh, is credited for the story of the episode. And then we have the kind of uh, famous Tracy Torme, um, who just was like a regular staff writer on the show for season one. And uh, he's credited for being the story editor on this. There's a weird writing story behind this that had me going, okay. Um, but basically, the night that they had basically finished the script and it was going off to be printed for everybody, uh, they were like passing by the hall and noticed that somebody in the, uh, I don't know whose office it was, but uh, they were like marking up the script or something uh, with, you know, pen. And um, it was Gene Roddenberry's attorney who had no authority to be writing the script at all. And he was in there like making changes to the script, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> And wow. they were they were like, um, what are you doing? And he tried to like give the excuse that it was authorized changes by Rick Berman and um, Robert Justman, who had authorized these changes. And he was like just marking up the script based on the changes that they wanted to make. So basically lying to them about it. <laughs> and apparently this is not the only time he did this. He did it on another first season episode as well. And uh, basically, they went and complained to Gene Rod or not Gene Roddenberry, Rick Berman about it. And apparently, it eventually stopped. But little uh, story, apparently, That's amazing. He didn't get fired. Yeah, I know. And uh, basically, just according to Armin Shimmerman, who of course played one of the main Ferengi in this episode, uh, he he basically said that they were directed to you know uh, jump around and like craze gerbils is what he said. I guess the whole, like how the Ferengi acted and stuff was a uh, director's decision. I would actually don't know if it's like the director's decision or if that was like a production decision about the Ferengi previously to that. But the director is uh, Richard A. Cola. And this is the only episode that he ever directed of Star Trek. The release dates for this are October 17th, 1987 for the United States. And then, uh, you know, various countries in Europe got it in the 90s. But weirdly, Belgium got it in 2008. So, wow. Way behind the curve. I don't know what was happening in Belgium, but. <laughs> Interesting. 
All right. Well, going into the guest stars, uh, we do have a fair bit of information on the guest stars for this episode. As Sarah mentioned, uh, Armin Shimmerman does play one of the main Ferengi in this episode. You know, I I decided not to go into his filmography because we know and love him. Um, he's fabulous as Quark in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. um, and you know he's he, he's well known to the Star Trek community. So I'll go into some of the other uh, Ferengi here. We have uh, Jake Dangle, who played Mordock. He started out his film career in 1964 with a movie based on Shakespeare's play Twelfth Night. Um, And then he worked with Ethan Phillips in 1981 in a movie called Ragtime and appeared in some other movies such as Something Wicked This Way Comes, Best Defense, at Close Range, uh, Blind Faith, Diary of a Hitman, and Prayer of the Roller Boys with Aaron Eisenberg. And then on TV, he was in TJ Hooker with William Shatner, uh, Hell Street Blues, Night Court, L.A. Law. And then uh, archive footage from filming this episode was also used in a second season episode called Shades of Grey. Now, uh, one of the other Ferengi is uh, Tracy Walter, who played k and he started out in 1971 in um, a movie called Ginger, and then went on to different movies such as Badge 373, Annie Hall, Blue Collar, uh, The Hunter, where he appeared with LeVar Burton. Uh, he was in Repo Man, At Close Range, which also featured uh, Jake Dangle. Uh, he was in Time Stalkers with Tim Russ, uh, Midnight Run, Homer and Eddie, which started, had Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, he was in the 1989 Batman, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Independence Day with Brent Spiner, Tell Me No Secrets with Bruce Greenwood, uh, The Man from Elysian Fields with Rosalind Chow, and Face Value with Michael Dorn. And then on TV, he was in... Uh, an episode of Starsky and Hutch with Rene Aubergenois. He was also in L.A. Law, Brimstone, um, a short-lived series called Reigns with Linda Park, and in Cold Case, which was co-produced by Roxanne Dawson. And again, his character, um, the archive footage was used uh, in Shades of Grey, and he was one of the Ferengi in the episode Rascals. Then we get uh, Mike Gomez, who was Damon Tarr. Uh, he started out in 1980 in a movie called Getting Wasted, which also starred Tracy Walter, who I just mentioned. Uh, he was in Zoot Suit with uh, Robert Beltran, uh, By Dawn's Early Light, and Last Light. And then he was also in the episode Rascals as Damon Lurin. That was such a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a much better episode for the Ferengi, yes. uh, even though um, they are they are still bumbling yes. in that episode. <laughs> uh, and then we move on to uh, Daryl Henricks, who played the uh, Takan Portal 6-3. Um, and he started out in 1982 in Citizen with Whoopi Goldberg. He was also in Beverly Hills Cop 2, uh, The Rocketeer, which also had Max Grodencheck, uh, Jumanji, The 13th Floor, and Just Visiting. But he is also known in Star Trek for playing 
Ambassador Nanclus in uh, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Oh. Wow. Yeah, a very, very different character. Yeah, um, very different. When I saw the the picture of him, I was like, wow, I would not have recognized that as the same actor. No, not at all. <laughs> and those are our guest stars for this episode. Shall I destroy them? Then they would learn nothing. A most interesting conclusion. But what if they never learn, Riker? Is this a test also? In life, one is always tested. I see them much as we were several hundred years ago. But possessing the technology they now have, they're very dangerous. Untrue! We seek friendship with you! But we can hardly hate what we once were. They may grow and learn. And learn ways to destroy you. Well, our values require us to face that possibility. All right, guys, we're going to get into the episode discussion now, and we're just going to start out with the uh, you know, very beginning where the Enterprise is chasing the uh, Frangi vessel that's believed to be carrying a stolen energy converter, which they call the T9 uh, converter, that uh, I learned they got from a planet somewhere, and I forgot the name of the planet already. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> What was the name of the- Gamatory 4. Okay, I wasn't going to remember that. Um, (laughs) And so basically, both ships get stuck in orbit around this planet, but they don't realize that um, they don't know what this force is that is uh, holding them in place. The Enterprise believes that the Ferengi ship is doing it. The Ferengi thinks that the Enterprise is doing it. So right now, like in this part of the episode, they're basically just trying to outmaneuver the Ferengi. And I, I feel like this entire part of the of the episode was trying to show off the um, the capabilities of both the Enterprise and the Ferengi ship, like just setting up the Ferengi power, you know, like how much power they have and what they can and can't do, basically. Yeah, I mean, you had to have some kind of setup to explain what was happening in the episode to introduce a species that had never been heard of before inside the Star Trek universe. So, but I feel like it was just a lot of dialogue. (laughs) It's a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Like the first 20 minutes of this episode is them just trying to get out of the, the Fringy trap. Like that's all it is for the first 20 minutes. Yeah. I noticed that it was just a lot of, it's, it's just the, the crew on the bridge. Yeah. And I just thought that was really unusual. It is like, and it's unusual for them to, I guess in later seasons, they would kind of chop up this action a little bit more. But for this one, they just decided to, like, I was watching this and I was literally like 15 minutes into the episode. I'm like, Dude, we're still on the very first thing, that, you know, that they started with this episode. Like, we're still on that right now, you know, and yeah. So that I just remember that like hitting me is like how much time they spent just trying to like get out of the situation they were in with the Frankie and it took them a while to like figure out what was actually going on. Yeah. Well, that and like losing as they lost power of losing contact with anything outside of the bridge and then sending Jordy down to engineering to figure out what's going on. And my first thought was like, what? how are you going to find out from him what's going on once he gets down there? (laughs) Like (laughs) you you can't contact anybody outside of the bridge. And then I thought it was really interesting. I don't know if you noticed this, but every time they got into a turbo lift, they touched a wall panel. 
Oh, to go somewhere. Did they? I didn't notice. Yes. Like right as the doors huh. are closing, they were leaning over to touch a button or something on the wall instead of stating where to go. Okay. Interesting. We know what I do we ever like really hear them state where they're gonna go? Like when they do that shot where they just they're going turn from around. the bridge. Yeah, and like turn around. They never like we never hear them say it. They always cut to like inside the turbo lift or something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. My first thought when Picard sent uh Jordy down to engineering was did you try your communicator? Yeah, I had that thought too. <laughs> Because, I mean, yeah, the, the ship's internal uh, comms may be down, but, you know, is is that directly linked to the communicator? I don't think they'd quite figured out that whole yeah. system yet. Not yet. It's too early in the series. Because then Captain Picard sends Riker down to engineering to find out from Geordi <laughs> yeah. what was going on. Well, maybe they can walk back to the bridge, but... yeah. It's like yeah, the greatest I, relay game ever. I, I thought that the <laughs> communicators were kind of linked into the ship's communications. Yeah, and it could be. I mean, later on um, in the series, I think they they generally use their communicator to contact someone. I mean, Picard is literally just standing on the bridge and just goes, engineering. So is the computer listening to hear something that, maybe makes it sound like he's trying to contact somebody. Oh, are we going to get into than, this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, that, okay. That happened like all throughout these series. Like, I don't think that was something unique to this episode. Yeah. Um, because I mean, I know they've done episodes where when communications were down, like they were down, like you, the combat just weren't working either. So yeah. Well, and then like sometimes they have to touch a button to talk. Yeah. And sometimes they don't, you know, it's like, it's like that through the entire Megan's right for every single series of Star Trek. It's never consistent. I have to say, I, I laughed when, um, well, first of all, like when the Frangie were shooting that like energy beam at them or whatever, I was expecting the, the ship shake and nothing happened. Everybody's just standing there perfectly normal. Then, like, later on, when, uh, I forgot what it was, that I guess they were trying to, like, get away from the Frangie. I loved, I just laughed at how, like, they're all just kind of, like, casually bumping around in their <laughs> chairs. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Stewart never looks, he always does that. He just kind of, like, bumps around a little bit. You know, he doesn't really, like, do the yeah. big shakes usually so <laughs> yeah that was so that was weird to me that they didn't have like a consistency on like when the enterprise gets hit with something one thing that i found kind of funny in that section talking about inconsistency um we had the ferengi ship on the view screen for i don't know a couple of minutes and then they end up stopping by the the planet, uh, which we find out later, basically the planet stopped them. And then um, Worf says, we're in visual range. Wait a minute. Yeah, we've been. <laughs> Haven't you, been hasn't it way. been on the screen? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then Picard says, you know, maximum magnification. Okay, well, you know, that's, maybe it's like, we're, we're in range for you know, high definition visuals. I, I don't know. And I also thought that 
the when they started talking about all the different countries and talking about the U.S. and Yankee traders and all of that stuff, I was just kind of like, man, this is so on the nose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I had the same thought. It's like, man, really, it's so, really geared to that 1987 audience. Yeah, the American 1987 yeah. audience. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of bizarre. Like, I don't know if it's just the time or whatever, but it's looking back on it, it's like, man, they, I mean, obviously I kind of know why they were talking about the U.S., you know, but it's kind of like, it was so specific to <laughs> with what they brought up. And it's just, I don't know. It just makes me wonder like what an international audience must think, you know, yeah, about that. Especially with like how, the Federation, like I know that the we've talked before on our podcast about how like Star Trek was, you know, Earth and particularly San Francisco, you know, was a major founder of the Federation or Starfleet. To like think about Starfleet being this all encompassing thing of all of these different alien races from different planets and all of this stuff, but we're going to drill down to Yankee traders in the United States, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, I thought that whole conversation was odd because we've had you know data referencing an obscure language known as french mm -hmm. before and then you know picard getting upset and um but then when they when they bring up sun tzu and they're playing with chinese finger traps it, it's like nothing to them to say, oh, yeah, the Chinese, you know, great philosopher and strategist and, you know, oh, it's a Chinese finger trap. So they seem to remember China as a, a country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But they don't remember the U.S. or France. It, it's just strange the way they refer to things and what they – they're definitely trying to play it off like, oh, time has passed and things on Earth that Earth have changed. Yeah. But it's just really, really odd. All right. So I guess uh, the Enterprise believes that the Ferengi have uh, weapons previously unknown to Starfleet. And Picard first tries to negotiate with them and then offers to surrender to save his crew. But the Ferengi mistakenly believe that Picard is asking for their surrender because they are suffering from the same power loss. That uh, at this point is coming from the planet, but they don't they don't discover this until they the Enterprise sends a probe to the planet to um, that sends back this image of like these two lightning bolts <laughs> keeping the, the ships in place or in orbit around the planet. Which I thought it was interesting that it was counselor Troy. That was the one like we've, we've been so focused on the Fringy having caused this. Let's look at this giant planet we're in orbit of. I know. I was Instead. like, yeah, I was like, she's the only smart one. <laughs> yeah. This whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely was like, um, why, why are we focusing on the Ferengi doing this and not thinking about the planet? Um, several minutes before it was brought up. <laughs> uh, and there, one thing that seemed odd to me in that um, whole situation was, you know, the, the way that the Enterprise was talking to the Ferengi and was basically just like, oh, you know, you need to give us back our, our equipment. And, you know, then then they go right to, all right, I guess 
we have to admit they've beat us and we have to surrender to them. And it's like, well, you already know that the Ferengi are known as traitors and they're known for making deals and all this kind of stuff. So asking them for for terms or what their intentions are, to me, would be kind of more of an opening move rather than a, a surrendering move. Um, but they they definitely played it as, all right, well, having to ask them for what their terms are is admitting that, you know, they got us and we're surrendering. Yeah, it was very fatalistic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, you know, we're not used to hearing surrender to the Ferengi. You know, yeah. oh, that's very true. Yeah. So it just kind of, I think it struck me as odd also because of that reason, you know, of like who the heck would surrender to the Ferengi? Like it's, it feels weird, you know, because obviously they were, they were trying to play them up as like this big, you know, powerful enemy of the Federation, you know, so I guess maybe that's why they made that decision. But yeah, it was a very rash, like, Oh well, I guess I guess we have to surrender to them now. I agree with you on that. It was also odd to me that that Picard said to like send their hail out into in all languages. I was like, what language do you think the Ferengi speak? You know, and yeah. all the languages. So that was, I guess, the they they the, like literally didn't know anything about the Ferengi other than like the mm. trading stuff, maybe. At this point, it's it's not the first time that they've made that he's given that order to put everything out in all languages. And I mean, the same thing happened in Encounter at Farpoint um, when they were attempting to hail the um, Q Q for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, Well, that makes sense, though, because Q was like this nebulous being, I guess. But I'm just saying, like, it, the Frangi are like the Romulans or the Klingons. Like, you should know they have their own language. I mean, they're not going to answer you in Klingon. Yeah. You know, is what, basically what I'm trying to say. So it was kind of an odd thing. Yeah. I suppose it would be whether he believed maybe they have relationship with some other uh, races out there and might know their languages and therefore... You know, if they don't understand Federation standard, maybe they'll understand one of these other languages or something. Yeah, that's why I say, like, the the Starfleet must have just not known anything about them, you know, because they don't even know what language they speak. Which actually made me think of um, the original series episode where we have Kirk facing off against the Romulan ship and we kind of get... You know, they they didn't even know what the Romulans looked like because all of their dealings before that had been over radio communication. So that just reminded me of, okay, well, we have to, um, we don't even know what Ferengi look like. And going to the the image that we see of the um, the force field coming from the planet and holding the ships in place, um the image that we see in the hologram that, that data brings up, um, it didn't look like the, the force field was coming from the pole of the planet or something. Um, but when we see the exterior shots of the ships and the, the planet, the planet is shown rotating. 
and the ships are just kind of stationary. So to me, that kind of seemed odd. Like it almost seemed like there would be points where the force field would be coming from the opposite side of the planet unless it kept moving. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) They didn't really explain (laughs) the whole, like what was happening on the planet very well. Yeah. Although I do hate that. I mean, I don't know if this happened in any um, of the first season episodes after this one. I sort of hated that we lost the, like the 3d holographic display that happened in the conference room. Yeah, I wondered. Maybe that, that was caught my eye, and I thought reasons do- that that got lost or or wasn't used, and maybe it took too long to build. Yeah, I I tried to remember. Like, do we see that again anytime? Yeah, I couldn't remember anything. Okay, I can recall a few more episodes where they use something like that, but it's rare. Hmm. Although I do have to say, in that same scene, Brent Spiner was fantastic. He's trying yeah. to do that briefing <laughs> with his fingers stuck <laughs> in that toy. I, I thought he did amazing in that scene. Yeah, that's very true. I kept waiting for him as Data with, you know, crazy strength to just like rip it in half. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Yeah, I always like that part of this episode. You know, because it just shows this, these little character moments of Data and how he's mm. still just trying to like figure out. He's got that childlike, you mm. know, wonder that you know follows him throughout the entire series and then into the movies a little bit. You know what I noticed in this uh, scene? I noticed that I never question or thought about like where it came from before the little Chinese figure finger puzzle. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think in previous watchings of this episode, I was just kind of like huh that's weird that that's in there <laughs> i didn't realize like yeah. where it came from and now this is the first time watching this and i'm thinking that the boys brought it in there like they were playing yeah. with it yep yeah i just i just figured that out yeah no that that totally makes sense and it it makes the the kids being there have a reason yes because mm-hmm. at first when i saw them in there i was like well, this is a weird you know, moment. Are we still poking at, you know, Picard doesn't like kids? And yes, that was, that was part of it. But the real reason was to have that toy be there. Yeah. And I've seen this episode probably five or six times and I I never figured that out until watching it this time. But I just say going back to like, uh, when Picard is talking to the Frangie and we see them on the view screen. Oh Mm. my gosh. Like, yeah, why the extreme close up <laughs> on the view screen? Yeah. Oh my word. And the, like the white background yeah. behind them too. Mm. I guess they didn't re- they they had no time to like design the interior for, of a Frangie ship, so they're like we'll just put a white background behind them. Oh, yeah. Although they did say in the episode, you know, obviously there there was um distortion or whatever in the the image so it almost seemed like they were assuming that the image they were being shown was exaggerated in some way to make them more intimidating or something i mean i don't know if there's i don't know invert in universe answer for that but i mean i just yeah i just figured they just you know chose to do it to to make the frankie seem more intimidating as you say 
also thought it was weird that the first, I think it was the first time we they held the Fringy Vessel, Lieutenant Yar did it. And then from there on out, it was Data hailing oh, the was ship. was it? Yeah. Hmm. Huh. I was like, what? Why did we make that switch? <laughs> like, <laughs> she's, well, I don't know because is she busy. Uh, <laughs> well, she she was closing the um, the channel and stuff. Yeah, but he was the one opening it. Hmm. I didn't catch that. Yeah, I mean, he even goes. He even says hailing frequencies are open. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, does he do that in the rest of the series too? Just like randomly hails. I feel like he does. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember. All right. So basically, uh, after the Enterprise figures out that the Ferengi are um, stuck in the same situation as they are, they decide to um, send an away team down to the planet. And the Ferengi also send an away team down. So they get down there. Everybody is, what is it, like interference that um, in their the, the transporter beam, so they all end up scattered around the area in in weird places. Jordy's hanging upside down. Yar is nowhere yeah. to be seen. Worf is nowhere to be seen. Yeah, and Data's on top of a crystalline structure <laughs> of some yeah. sort, and and yet completely ignoring Riker calling out to him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was uh, trying to figure out what what the structure was that he was on or something. I don't know. But uh, Riker finally rounds up everybody and then the Frangi come and uh, crash the party and start uh, throwing their whip energy weapons at them or whatever, knocking them out. And then everybody eventually wakes up and this portal this strange portal appears on the planet who represents this bygone empire that uh, has been gone for a very long time. And basically the Frangi start accusing the, you know, the star- Starfleet humans, Starfleet crew of doing all these horrible things. And the portal starts judging them based on like their, I guess the deeds that they have or haven't done uh, as far as like helping civilizations or not helping civilizations, like the whole like prime directive thing that Starfleet has to observe. The Ferengi are calling them out on it basically and trying to get the portal to, um, I don't know, what are they trying to get the portal to do? Like destroy the Enterprise or or they're trying to like work yeah. with, with them and like serve the Empire and stuff. Well, I think they're it's more they're groveling and trying to say, you know, if you're going to destroy somebody, destroy them instead of us. Yeah. Let us live. We'll, we'll, we'll serve you if you'll just let us go. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, too, you have everyone on the Enterprise, and I'm assuming on the Fringy ship, um, you know, they're, the energy from both ships are continuing to be drained. Um, the crew has basically, of the Enterprise, has basically been... Um, put on a few decks to help conserve and shut down energy. The other decks to help conserve and keep people alive. So, and that was a little right. weird too. Um, yeah. Just came out of nowhere. I was like, Whoa, okay. So this is going on apparently on the enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which my one thing with that. And again, this is probably just a not having things set out in the, Star Trek universe yet but 
my first thought when they started losing life support and they were getting cold was to go back to um, Voyager and Macrocosm. When Voyager loses power and life support, it gets hot. And it's explained that it's because the heat from the, the warp plasma can't be vented because there's no power. So it gets very hot on the ship. So I thought it was interesting that there's those two different um, approaches to the danger of losing life support. And it seems to me we've seen it in other series and episodes where the danger becomes, oh, we're going to run out of oxygen or something like that. I don't know whether it's just based on the individual ships or stations or whatever that that becomes the the problem or if it's just, well, this is what suited the the story or it's what made scientific sense at the time. It's probably more the latter of what made scientific sense at the time. Yeah. Um, Sarah, what, I mean, you're, you're more on the NASA history than I am. When was the international space station completed? Like I know we were doing shuttles into space, into orbit, but completed. Yeah. I mean, it would more I mean, make sense to me that that, that would be the more mentality of, let's say that the, the international space station or uh, one well, of the shuttles that went up, if that had lost power, it would well, have been cold. I was cold. thinking about Apollo 13, not well, even that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because in Apollo 13, yeah, it got cold. And um, the oxygen, like it was the same situation as this. So it kind of had me going back to that. I don't know about... Because there there really hasn't been an incident with shuttles or the International Space Station like that. So I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, obviously, I didn't know that from... Well, we did watch... We did watch that episode of Voyager, didn't we? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember... um, that explanation, I guess, that you gave, but. And maybe it's different because Voyager is so much smaller than the Enterprise where the the warp plasma wouldn't necessarily be near much of the rest of the ship as opposed to in Voyager where basically everything's close to everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about the size comparison. The, the D is probably way bigger than Voyager is, but. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By a lot. <laughs> but they're still using the same technology, warp technology, yeah. right? So I would imagine right. it would have some effect. But yeah, it's just that's just like a two different writing staffs <laughs> you know, yeah. trying to figure out how to represent this. But I mean, I think they were still having trouble with oxygen though, on this too. It seemed like they were having trouble breathing. Yeah, they did. I don't think they mentioned it outright, mm. but it would make sense if if that was happening as well. Well, because I was like, well, would they? Because I, I mean, they they did make it seem like they were having trouble breathing, and I was like, well, is this just from the cold, or is? And then I was like, no, I don't think it, the cold would necessarily affect you like that. It would have to be because they're losing oxygen too, because in every other episode where they lose life support the oxygen's an issue. So yeah, that's just kind of what I thought, but although I did find it in my head when they were going through all of this and about complaining about how cold it was getting, 
like my initial thought was go to your quarters and put on my I clothes. Know. I was like, and get your blankets coats? off your bed. Like, <laughs> where are the coats? What, what about environmental yeah. suits? Why are we issuing like emergency blankets? Yeah, <laughs> and no one's putting on layers. And Troy is like rubbing her arms. She's just in her uniform, just rubbing her yeah. arms like she's cold. I'm like. Go get yeah. get a jacket. Like, do you guys not yeah. have those anywhere on the ship? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe I mean, they don't. I, I keep a sweater at my desk because it gets cold at work <laughs> in the summer. Yeah, yeah, but uh, well, like regulation though, they probably can't like put no. stuff on top of there. But but still, like, I wonder if um, they don't have like jackets and coats because you know it w- they would probably be replicated. Like, I don't know how much clothes they keep in a closet or anything like that well we had tasha break into tori's quarters to go yeah. through her clothes so we know troy's got some very colorful <laughs> clothing in her closet <laughs> oh dear they're probably clothes that her mother sent to her and probably. made her probably yeah. <laughs> yeah one thing in this section that i thought was strange like down on the the planet it was such a strange conversation going on with the the Ferengi and the Starfleet crew, and then you have the the Takan man shows up. There's so much to pick out in in that conversation, but the thing that's really jumped out at me is we have the the portal announces that you know this is Portal Six Three, you know who seeks to enter and all this sort of thing, and you know, Riker asks who is speaking and he says a a guardian of the Takan empire. And then they go on, they go on to continually address him as portal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I was looking up the guest stars, he's listed as portal six, three. And I thought that was strange. Like, is he literally the portal I, I more thought like the portal would be that location or wherever that projection is being sent and the person talking is, as he said, the guardian of the portal, which I would then have addressed him as guardian. Mm-hmm. And then some of the other things like, you know, yes, the Ferengi start accusing the the Starfleet officers of being these awful people and having done all this and that. And then the Starfleet crew start going along with it, like saying, oh yeah, by the way, we've also let, you know, civilizations, you know, have these horrible things go on. We've let civil wars continue. We've done this. And I'm assuming they were trying to show that, yes, we, we did that, but it's because we have principles and then letting the, the Ferengi kind of dig their own grave by showing their true colors. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I did think that was maybe needed a little more explanation. Yeah, they didn't really expound on it very much. I kind of I had the same thought on that, but I think that they were just hoping that the audience would understand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In the very least, they could have you know introduced the prime directive. This is why we allowed all this yeah. to happen. Yeah, exactly. Say yes, we did that, but because we we believe this way and this is our standard. Well, it's almost, Might have made- yeah, it's almost like they were, uh, the portal understood that. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's like he was on the same wavelength of thought as the, this as Starfleet basically. Yeah. 
And so that's the way it came across to me is they just kind of automatically understood each other um, Mm. because they had the kind of the same type of thinking about things. Uh, You know, Portal was really interested in the sayings of, you know, the ancient Chinese sayings and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the Frangie just had like this completely alien thought process to the Takan Empire or whatever. Um, Mm. So it seemed like to me, they were trying to imply that Starfleet again, like had that the same thought process as the Takan Empire once did maybe, or something like that. And speaking of the, the Takan, I mean, we're introduced to this is a a vast interstellar empire that existed a long time ago and went extinct. And the reason they went extinct were offered is a, a supernova happened. That just seems strange to me. Like if you compare them to the Federation, if a single supernova happened, that would only I mean, it would cause the Federation to kick in, okay, we got to go rescue anybody who might be in the path of it and all this sort of thing, but it wouldn't destroy the Federation. Well, I mean, if it had happened um, in our solar system, we'll say our sun unexpectedly went supernova. I mean, we have the similar thing of what's on Picard with the Romulan star doing the same thing. Um would the Federation as a whole fall? Probably not, but it would for sure um, go through uh, much difficulty because the Federation is based on Earth. Um, the yeah. the actual, you know, the government, the government of the Federation is based there. So if that's suddenly gone, the Federation doesn't cease to exist, but it in the time period of, the Dakon Empire, if the if that was the base of operations and that was suddenly gone, like I can see how the ripple effect could have caused the empire to fall. I just thought it would it would have happened over time. Yes. It may have made them gradually crumble, but the fact that the portal guy doesn't even know what time period it is, right? Almost implied to me it was like, oh yeah, supernova happened and they just got wiped out. Yeah. And so that to me just seemed like a strange explanation, especially when whether this was true or not. But you have data saying, you know, it's believed that they were able to move stars. So somebody who's that in tune with how stars work and everything. I don't know. It just was hard for me to believe that a, a single supernova would just wipe them out. Well, we had the same issue on Picard <laughs> with that yeah. supernova. Yeah. So seems like a thing Star Trek likes to do, I guess. Why was, um, this is probably a plot point that I don't remember, but um, why was this planet alive or still around? Good question. <laughs> well, that to me was, was part of it. You know, you're showing here that obviously this was a planet used by the Takan in some way. And... You know, it talks about how, you know, this is a a solar system. It has 11 planets and, you know, it was home to this vast, you know, group with trillions of people. And yet 
you know, we're saying, okay, a, a supernova wiped them out, which I would think would have destroyed the planet. And it also would have made it no longer be a solar system. Unless I was thinking maybe this was a, a far, you know, an outpost on the edge of the Takan empire, in which case, you know, did everybody just leave as the empire dissolved or were they, did they die off on the planet because they, they weren't able to reach the rest of the empire when things broke down? Uh, it, it seemed a little not fleshed out enough to me. Well, and also my question is, what is the portal? Like, yeah. what, I mean, it, was it a representation of the empire to greet visitors or I guess is a guardian of the planet? I guess like their security system. Like, I don't really understand who this guy was and what he was doing there. It seems more like the protector of the planet, of the security system of the planet, because that gets triggered by these two ships appearing in orbit. And then they triggered the portal by being on the planet. So... I mean, that's that's the only thing I can figure out. Yeah, and it, it just seems strange to... Like, when you, you call it a portal, to me, that means it it's an entryway. It mm-hmm. goes somewhere. And I thought, okay, so maybe the Takan Empire didn't phase out. Maybe they moved into a different um, plane of subspace or something like that. And so this is the portal to go into their realm. Um, But then that doesn't materialize. And then when we have it go from the projection of the the image of the man's face to him being a a solid being, you know, he looks down at his his feet and goes, oh, bipedal, excellent. Um, Almost like he was taking on a form that... The visitors to the planet would recognize, and he's thinking, "Oh, good! I'm I'm not some weird slug creature. I'm you know a, mm-hmm. <laughs> a bipedal being." And the nice thing about this, like I think we said, it's kind of hard to watch some of these early episodes, but that's because we know how good the next generation gets, right? And to me, it's the same thing with the original series. Watching the first few episodes is a little difficult because you know it gets so much better. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just looking forward to getting deeper into these series and going, ah, okay, this is the Star Trek I am looking for. Yeah. We get to that more in season two. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess uh, Riker impresses the portal with his knowledge of... Um ancient warfare and like i don't know philosophy yeah yeah kind of outlook that impressed the portal enough for for, uh the portal to release the ships you know just in the nick of time before everybody passes out or they were all kind of passed out on the enterprise already on the bridge and uh they all woke up very suddenly (laughs) yeah I was thinking, I was like, okay, so I guess the oxygen started flowing back in again, but, you know, does it take five seconds, you know, for you to wake up from something like that? But I thought it was more the lights coming on. We're like, oh, hey, we have power again. Yeah, every, everything's good. And uh, the Enterprise and the Frankie go their separate ways. This is a little bit further back in the episode, but 
I just wanted to bring it up because we've talked about it before. <laughs> I thought it was funny and I kind of like snickered during the episode watching this where they're about to transport down to the planet and Data's like telling them all of this stuff what, about what to expect and everything. Mm-hmm. And like one of the last things he says is that there's no way to, you know, if this happens, there's no way to transport back. And Riker's like, understood. And I'm just looking at the transporter pad, and it's like most of the senior staff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No way to transport back, but let's send the, the senior staff down, you know? <laughs> yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Especially when Riker asks Picard pointedly, like, can I take Worf? It's like, oh, yeah, just, you know, just pile even more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> top <laughs> people on. My my only other thing was some of the, the weird stuff with, like, why was the main crew on the bridge if they'd already talked about shunting all of the the life support to the family decks? Um, yeah. Like, it's a, it, the bridge is dead. Like, why are they there? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it was so that we had a recognizable place for them to wake up. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Crusher calling Picard Jean instead of Jean-Luc yeah. um, was a little weird. Um, well, why was Crusher on the bridge at the end anyway? Like, she was just ignoring the rest of the crew? Well, I, I guess it was, uh, maybe it was a thing of, well, I guess uh, we're all... Pick where we're going to die. We're all dead now, so let's <laughs> let's all go to the bridge. And, she wanted to be, know, by, be our- by Jean's side when they yeah. died. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I do have some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that I was able to find for this episode. Um, So this is the first of two of the Next Generation episodes in which Picard utters the French curse. And I don't speak French, so... (laughs) (laughs) I know just enough French that I was like, wait a minute, Picard just swore. Yeah. (laughs) So he says a cuss word. Um, so, uh, this was also the first time in the Star Trek franchise that a curse word of this type had been spoken on screen years before, um, the English equivalent was spoken in Star Trek generations. Also in this episode, Carrie Cullen was the stunt coordinator for this episode. She is the only female stunt coordinator who's worked on Star Trek, um, as the head stunt coordinator besides, uh, Leslie Hoffman, who served as an assistant stunt coordinator on Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Uh, This is Armin Shimmerman's second Star Trek appearance um, in this episode. The first was in the Next Generation episode Haven, um, where he appeared as the Betazoid gift box face. Um, Haven was shot first, but aired after this episode. He also um, appeared um, uh, later in the series as playing a different Ferengi uh, before playing Quark in Deep Space Nine. Um, This is also the first appearance of the Master Systems Display Table in Engineering. Uh, The same prop was used um, in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Uh, And the the appearance of the table in this episode um, actually matches the prop from Voyage Home. So after this episode, the table was altered to what we're more familiar with and how it looked later on in this series. The... Fringy Marauder's ship uh, design was based on the Horseshoe Crab 
for this. This is also the um, only appearance of the handheld uh, Ferengi energy whips until the episode uh, in Deep Space Nine called the Ferengi Love Songs, in which Quark is seen holding an action figure equipped with the whip. The actual laser whips don't appear again until Enterprise um, in the episode Acquisition. Uh, That episode is also in Enterprise, the last appearance of Ferengi in Star Trek. And then this episode was one of the few episodes that Data used contractions in his speaking. Hmm. It's amazing that Armin Shimmerman went from a face in a box to a quark. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I did also see a video where they mentioned that um, Armin Shimmerman talked about how he he's very much remembered um playing the the Ferengi and how they changed and everything mm-hmm. and also actually used that to kind of inform some of Quark so there there are little bits and pieces that he's kind of linked them together and has little like threads that he has in his own personal backstory for Quark that kind of link him to that character hmm. All right, so that was it for our discussion of this episode. We would like to hear what you thought about this episode of Next Generation, what you thought about the podcast episode, or any little uh, details that you wanted to bring up, questions you might have. Uh, You can reach out to us in multiple different ways. You can find us on Twitter, where we are at Tribbles Podcast. We're also on uh, Instagram and Facebook under Triples and Transporters Podcast. And then we do have a Gmail where you can reach us, uh, triplesandtransporters at gmail.com. Uh, for our next episode, we are going to be getting into Deep Space Nine once again. And we're going to be talking about the episode called Babel from season one. Um, I, don't, I don't think I'm familiar with this one. I'm trying to see if it's the one I'm actually thinking of oh yes uh yeah um it's a very aptly named um episode it's where uh the crew just start speaking in gibberish (laughs) okay and (laughs) yeah and we and we have to figure out why okay yeah i thought it was that that episode yeah uh anyway we hope you guys will join us next time for that thanks for listening as always and we will see you guys next time bye bye Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.